Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by WitchSchool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. Hello, and thank you for tuning in today. I am Michael Greywolf, artist, traveler, all-around geek, witch, and brother initiate of the Unnamed Path. And I'm Matthew Sidney, songwriter, storyteller, urban bard, and brother initiate of the Unnamed Path. And you are listening to Walking the Unnamed Path on this podcast we discussed the teachings and techniques given to us by the ancestors of Men Who Love Men and laid out by our late founder, Hyperion. We also touch on topics and ideas pertaining to queer pagan men in general. Uh, we're glad you've decided to join us today, this you know, wonderful, depending on where you are, cold or hot Saturday. <clears throat> and we hope you'll you know, decide to be part of the show by calling in at area code 347-308-8222. Uh, you can hang out with us in the chat room, which I will try to get up. It's been a little iffy the last few times. Uh, you can drop us an email at walkingtheunnamedpath at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at walking underscore the UP. Or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash walkingtheunnamedpath. Uh, how are you, Matthew? You know, it's been a little bit. Yeah, it ha- it has been. I am... Well, I am maybe a little breathless. Anyone who has been following me on Facebook is aware that I have just traveled across country. I decided actually some time ago that I was going to relocate and begin a new chapter. So finally, the stars aligned. The timing was right. I packed up the belongings that I felt I absolutely needed in my car and drove from South Florida to San Diego, where I am now getting settled and getting used to a new climate, new energy, and most importantly, new roads. Because <laughs> having come from the land where everything is in a perfect grid and all the roads are perfectly straight, It is fascinating and certainly challenging to get used to winding mountain roads. Hmm. But I'm getting the hang of it. (laughs) Awesome. You know, I I don't think I realized you were moving. I've been so out of touch, you know, the last month or so. And with moving myself, into my apartment and currently I don't have internet so it's a pain to get online on my phone so I've just been out of loop so I didn't know you relo- you were relocating I saw you were traveling but I didn't yeah, realize you were relocating you know, well and I you know I I I tend to keep my my personal life relatively private and I don't when I plan things I'm not the type of person to share it with the world until I actually do them So I Mm -hmm. really didn't talk about it much uh, except with, you know, people who are very, very close to me. Uh, I have friends and family who aren't even aware (laughs) 
that I've relocated. <laughs> but, you know, that's the way I live my life. Not everything I do is everybody's business, especially in the planning phases. I'm a firm believer that when we're in the process of manifesting something, uh, there's wisdom in, in keeping our cards close to our chest until the, mm-hmm. the manifestation <clears throat> happens. And, you know, maybe perhaps I read Karina Blackheart's which is Book of Silence one too many times, but that's kind of my, <laughs> my, my philosophy. So I know, you know, there's a lot of folks who are probably surprised, but it's something that I actually felt the call to do some time ago. I've been seriously uh, considering this transition for over a year and mm-hmm. wrestled with the pros and cons. And, you know, of course it's, it's very scary But, you know, one thing in my journey with the unnamed path is that I have been guided to face my fears, um, whatever they may be, one after the other, whether it be my fear of heights or my fear of doing ritual in a public space or my fear of starting a new life in a new place and starting all over again from scratch. So it's, uh, it's an adventure, but an opportunity for tremendous growth. Oh, yes, very much agreed. I, I remember when I moved to uh, Illinois. Yeah, that was very scary. It, you know, it was my first time being away from home, like for like a long distance away from home. Going to college didn't yeah. count because it was in the same city. <clears throat> but... Um, you know, leaving everyone I knew behind and, you know, going to a new place, getting settled and making new friends. You know, some friends yeah. that I'm still very much close to. Uh, and, you know, some of my relationships back here in Dallas, you know, kind of faded away. I'm a little sad about it, but, you know, it happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think people people evolve and... I think sometimes, I don't know if you ex- experience this, but I, I have a suspicion that sometimes being in a new setting um, facilitates transformation. I, I don't believe in the geographic cure. I'm, I'm a firm believer that whatever our, our problems and issues are, we take them with us wherever we go. But sometimes the same places, the same settings, um, can hold us back from change. I know in the recovery community, uh, one of the things they say, well, if you keep going to the same places and keep spending time with the same people, it's going to be more challenging to change. And so Mm -hmm. uh, folks are, are encouraged to go to new places, create a new circle of friends, develop new habits as you craft a new way of living. So I think, you know, for, for some of us, sometimes a geographic transition helps foster that. Oh, yes, I very much agree. Uh, when I moved to Illinois, I was a different person. And when I moved back from Illinois, I was coming back a different person. It, I know for me, I gained a new sense of independence and, you know, just doing stuff on my own or, you know, having to solve issues on my own without my family. And I come from a very close knit family. You know, we're always there to help one another 
for anything and not having that net, that safety net, you know, having to do a lot of it on my own uh, was definitely a growing experience. And just interacting with so many different people who I had not really interacted with before definitely has, you know, changed my views on a lot of different things. Um, So I, I totally get what you're saying. But did you do anything for Thanksgiving? I did. I some of uh, I I had a lovely Thanksgiving here. I was invited um, actually by a couple of the um, unnamed path brothers here to share Thanksgiving uh, with some friends of theirs. So I had the privilege of meeting some really amazing, beautiful people. And I had a really, really great time. It was a wonderful Thanksgiving. How was yours? Mine was pretty nice. Um, The night before Thanksgiving, I was with my mom cooking and it is my mother always is cooking up until the last minute. And it's been like that for years. Uh, The only difference was, (laughs) Um, and I'm going to try not to, you know, get weepy. Uh, my uh, grandmother wasn't there. You know, my grandmother passed away last year at the beginning of the year. And so last year was the first year that my family had Christmas and Thanksgiving without her. Mm-hmm. But this was my first year being home and not having her here. So, you know, it was definitely, you know, cooking with my mother the day before Thanksgiving was definitely something I needed. And, you know, just, you know, talking and laughing. And we both got a little misty-eyed. And, you know, just that, I think, was the part of Thanksgiving I enjoyed the most or cherished the most. Uh, but, you know, then getting yeah. to see my family on um, actual Thanksgiving, you know, we had a lot of food, way too much food. Um, <clears throat> that, that was fun. Didn't get to see everyone. You know, as people get older, you know, families don't stay as close as they usually are. You know, each family has their own family they have to go visit. You know, my cousins had to go visit their spouses, families, and whatnot. My sister was out of town. She was visiting her in-laws, so she wasn't here for my first Thanksgiving back. But, uh, you know, it it was good. I enjoyed it, and then I had to go to work. (laughs) Oh, no. I had to work retail. Yeah. I had to be at my store. Luckily, I didn't have to be at the store at 6 when it opened. Uh, I got there at, I had to be there at midnight when the store closed and, you know, they needed us there to restock everything that people had bought. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, so I I did that yesterday and again today. (laughs) Well, at least you survived Black Friday being on the front lines. Yes, yes. Uh, I I always am like 
Oh, I hate this time of year. Not not really because of the customers or anything like that, because I don't really deal with them a lot. It's just, you know, getting everything ready. You know, the, they're wanting you to work longer hours just, you know, to make sure we have everything out on the floor, everything looking nice, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and I, I was a little upset with this new store I'm with because every year, something I always look forward to whenever I have to work Black Friday is the store feeds us. And usually it's pretty good food. They, This store that I transferred to did not feed the team I was working with. <laughs> oh, no. I was, like, I was like, what's going on? They had food for the people that were there when all the guests were there. Right. But they ran out of it and they didn't get any more for the people who came in. And then we came in today, there was trays of food. Well, not trays. There were trays with, you know, bits of detritus and whatnot on there. Like they got it for people who were were there um, on actual Friday, like when the guests were there. But again, nothing for us who came in to, you know, fix everything. Uh, but well the, the two team but the two team leads that worked today, you know, took their own money and bought us food from the store. So that was or, that well that was sweet. Yeah. Yeah. But um, you know, today, you know, besides, you know, Black Friday madness and whatnot <laughs> Today, we are going to be talking about uh, World AIDS Day. And we actually, we were going to have a guest, but he's not feeling well. You know, we wish him all, we wish he gets a speedy recovery. Love you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, today we're going to be talking about World AIDS Day. Um, and, you know, Matthew, me and you can, you know, take turns reading from the notes that we have. Uh, sure. Why don't you go ahead? Sure. So... Uh, World AIDS Day, and just a side note for those of you who would like more information, you can visit www.worldaidsday.org. That is W-O-R-L-D-A-I-D-S-D-A-Y.org. World AIDS Day takes place on the 1st of December each year. It's an opportunity for people worldwide to unite in the fight against HIV to show support for people living with HIV, and to commemorate those who have died from an AIDS-related illness. The day was founded in 1988, and World AIDS Day was the first ever global health day. World AIDS Day happens to be observed by all UN member nations. See, I didn't know when it had actually started. I thought it had started in the 90s. I didn't realize it started in uh, 1988. That's what what I thought, too. I was actually quite surprised. Now, have have you ever had anyone you know pass away from uh, HIV or AIDS? I have. Um, Fortunately, I have not had to watch someone pass away. Um, And I I can only imagine what um, 
folks have gone through losing a, a, a partner or, or a close loved one and going through that transition with them. Um, I think I've mentioned on this show before that um, one of my personal ancestors of men who love men, who is very important to me, was a teacher that I had in high school. Scott Gillen was a tremendous positive influence on me, role model, teacher. Uh, He helped me tremendously when I was struggling with my identity and coming out. And he introduced me to our culture as men who love men. Um, He uh, shared with me uh, books by uh, James Baldwin, um, whom we discussed, um, uh, we touched on him on the last episode, and uh, other materials um, such as The Lost Language of Cranes, um, a separate piece. And Unfortunately, he he passed away um, not long after I graduated high school. But being you know, I, I was no longer in touch with him. So it was actually many years later, maybe it could have been a good ten years after my graduation that I found out that he had passed away of AIDS-related illness, and um, I. That left me feeling a little little bit of regret because um, as I had matured, I had hoped to be able to connect with him and thank him for helping me in in the ways that he did at such a vulnerable time in my life. And unfortunately, I never had the chance to do that um, in person. So I certainly think of him often and uh, pray for him and honor him and uh, honor his name and his memory. And um, it's, it's my intention that he rise in power and bliss. And, you know, hopefully he is empowered on the other side to continue the work of, of helping our, and I think it's in his memory that I feel so strongly about helping the next generation, providing guidance, providing information um, because I am a firm believer in, in paying it forward. But mm-hmm. in, in my personal experience, he's, he's the only, uh, on a personal level, uh, the, the only person whom I've lost uh, to, to the virus. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have not actually known anyone who has passed from um, HIV AIDS uh, I know several people who have um, HIV who live, you know, healthy, you know, happy lives, but I do not know anyone who has passed yet from it. Uh, I, I don't like, <laughs> I don't like that I just said yet from it. Um, but, uh, well, hope, and hopefully never, you know, things are much better now than they yeah. used to be. Mm-hmm. So... Fingers crossed. There's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and you know, I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit in the show notes to, you know, some basic information about AIDS, because I should have put that further up. But you know, for okay. those who, who have, and you know, I'll, I'll admit, 
some of these questions myself. And if I asked them, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people who've asked them. So I think, you know, these are some important questions, you know, to go ahead and get out there and have people have this in their minds. <clears throat> so, you know, what's the difference between AIDS and HIV? See, I didn't know there was a difference. Uh, this is from uh, healthline.com. AIDS is a condition. HIV is a virus that may cause an infection, but AIDS is a condition or a syndrome. Uh, being infected with HIV can lead to the development of AIDS, which stands for Acquired uh, Immunodeficiency Syndrome. AIDS develops when HIV has caused serious damage to the immune system. And like I just said, you know, AIDS stands for uh, Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome. Sorry. It is the most advanced stage of HIV infection, and HIV attacks and destroys the infection-fighting CD4 cells of the immune system. The loss of CD4 cells makes it difficult for the body to fight infection and certain cancers. Um, you know, without treatment, HIV can gradually destroy the immune system and lead to AIDS. So, and I have I'll share a link to the website to well to our Facebook page for more information that can be found um, from the. What was it? Uh, where is it? Uh, the U.S. Uh, Department of Health and Human Services has an AIDS info page, and I will share that link so that if you have any, any more questions about it, you can find it there. But and then let's go ahead and what, what, oh, go ahead. one uh, one aspect of HIV and AIDS that that I wanted to touch on. I, I'm sure most of our listeners are aware of that, is that AIDS is not a gay disease. It impacts mm-hmm. straight men, straight women, and children all over the world. However, the public was first made aware of AIDS in the 1980s because of its rapid spread through the gay community. And men who love men have been and still are very much at the forefront of both infection and treatment and prevention and the development of a cure. And uh, I think later we'll, we'll touch on some interesting aspects uh, about that. Um, but I just think that it's important, you know, cause I th- to, to throw that out there because not as much as 10, 15, 20 years ago, but still there's – a lot of ignorance out there and unfortunately there are a lot of straight people who think that they just can't get it. People think that if they're having straight sexes, they're just not going to get it. And that imagined sense of invulnerability can be a huge mistake. So I I think it's important for, listeners to to be aware that it's really something that touches everyone all over the world. And Mm -hmm. although, you know, it was originally thought that it only or primarily impacted one segment, it really impacts everybody. Um, However, 
perhaps the most impacted segment of society, uh, we're sort of leading the charge in, in the fight against this epidemic. But we're doing it not just for ourselves, but for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, okay. <laughs> let's go ahead and jump back to uh, you know, World AIDS Day. So one of the most recognizable symbols for the campaign of World AIDS Day is the Red Ribbon. Uh, if you didn't know, it, the Red Ribbon started in 1991 by a group of artists based out of New York City. Uh, they took inspiration from the yellow ribbons that were tied around trees to show support for troops fighting in the Gulf War. Um, and this is a quote from the World AIDS website. The artist wanted to create a visual representation of compassion for people living with HIV. And if I remember correctly, it was the, the red ribbon um, as, as related to the fight against HIV AIDS that paved the way for various other ribbon campaigns. Such as autism so. awareness, breast cancer. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but if I remember correctly, all of those came after. So it, the tradition of a specific colored ribbon being used to raise awareness um, as it pertains to a particular disease or condition really originated there. Mm-hmm. Of course, the yellow ribbon uh, in honor of uh, folks who are uh, fighting uh, in war overseas, I, I think that goes back a, a long ways. There's that old, uh, old... I don't know if it's a folk song, but uh, that old song, Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree. Um, I'll have to look up where slash when that originated. Uh, but uh, that's, uh, I think that's been part of, part of our culture for, for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> with each year, you know, World AIDS Day has, you know, a different campaign. The 2017 campaign this year is End Isolation, End Stigma, End HIV Transmission. And again, this is more information from the World AIDS Day website. You've helped us fight HIV. Now let's end it. The World AIDS Day, this World AIDS Day, joined the fight to end the negative impact of HIV. This year in the UK, there has been the first significant reduction in HIV diagnosis for gay men in London, thanks to frequent testing, rapid treatment, and uh, PrEP. Let's grow this success so that it includes everybody at risk across the UK and the world. But our fight is not just about the virus. For more than 100,000 people living with the HIV, with HIV in the UK, I guess this one was specifically targeting for the UK. (laughs) Ignorance and uh, discrimination can still limit opportunities preventing them from living full and happy lives. HIV means you are more likely to live in poverty and more likely to have poor mental health. This is an exciting turning point, 
but we need a new burst of energy to end stigma and HIV transmission and end the isolation experienced by people living with HIV for good. And in terms of stigma, I definitely want to delve deeply into that. In preparation for this show, I went back and listened to a podcast that Hyperion, the founder of The Unnamed Path, posted in February of 2009. He did a discussion on HIV AIDS with clinical psychologist Dr. Matthew. And one of the topics that Hyperion discussed and he felt very passionate about was the stigma of being positive and uh, not just in the world at large, or what are people going to think of me uh, in the workplace or in my family uh, if, if they know about my status, but also within the LGBT community. And um, I think things have certainly changed a lot, but uh, I think to an extent there are folks who are reluctant to um, pursue a relationship uh, with someone who is positive if they happen to be negative and uh, not everyone is as aware of the risks. Um, you know, and now a lot of folks who uh, are being treated are undetectable and um, the, the risk is re- of, of infecting someone else is relatively low. And um, I, I think there's still an opportunity for a lot of people to become more aware. And I know even in my personal life, many, many moons ago, there were one, there was one occasion in particular where I felt very uncomfortable. Um, I had met someone who was positive and wonderful person. He was very forthcoming about it. And at that time, I, I had my own fears. I just wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared mentally to pursue anything with that person. And as I've matured and become better informed, you know, sometimes I go back and, and think, wow, you know, what, what if I had made a different choice? You know, who knows mm-hmm. where that could have been an amazing relationship. Who knows where it could have gone? And, and, you know, did I make an unwise choice in, in, in pushing that person away just for that reason? So, um, I don't know. And I'm a little ashamed even in this moment to say, you know, I was that person, um, back then, but, um, but I think it's important to talk about because I think it's in talking about it, it's going to help us to get past the, the stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, I very much agree. Uh, I, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember, I believe when I was younger and back in college, uh, I was part of the, uh, GLBTSO, um, uh, on my campus. And I believe we had a discussion one time about, you know, and thinking about it now, I'm like, hmm, this could have been, could have been a very inappropriate discussion, uh, whether or not we felt comfortable. No, I guess it was kind of an important discussion. Uh, whether or not we felt comfortable, you know, dating someone who was a positive 
And, you know, I can't remember when I decided that I was okay with dating someone who would be positive. I just, Mm -hmm. we would just take, you know, extra precautions. And, you know, I want to say, now this is a very poor example of uh, gay representation or LGBT representation of a queer folk. You know, one of the main couples in there was a positive negative uh, relationship. Did you ever watch Queer as Folk? No. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. To you, oh no! Don't 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 be embarrassed. You know, there's a lot of people who are like, "Oh no, that was a horrible show." I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it was my first. It was my first. You know, seeing my first represent, representation I got of, oh my gosh, this is gay life. It's not. It was not. You know exactly gay life. Don't don't confuse me. Don't don't get it. Don't misquote me there. But uh, for me, it was you know the first time I saw you know gay men and women you know living lives of gay men and women. You know I hadn't really seen that and in media and it right. well just it, it was an important yeah it was a, it was an important show because we got to see people we could identify with on, on the TV screen um, in a way that was not ridiculous, um, such as uh, Billy Crystal's character on Soap, which, yeah, mm-hmm. that was a bit of a breakthrough, but, um, again, the point of that was humor and, and poking fun at uh, or using uh, LGBT identity as as a punchline and queer folk, queer's folk obviously didn't do that. Here you have the main characters, the protagonists, it's a, who are LGBT and it's about their lives and it's not about mocking them. And they were always trying to push the button. They were always trying to push the limits. And that's when, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, got them to introduce, um, uh, Doc, I believe it was Dr. Ben, who was a professor, and Michael, who was one of the main characters, as a couple. And, you know, Michael's mother, who was a very accepting, very, um, she's like P-flag mom to the extreme. Uh, you know, she supports everybody, but as soon as her son got into a positive-negative relationship, like all her, um, what's the word I'm looking for? All her... Um, I can't think of it. All of her, you know, saying, you know, you know, it's okay today. You know, it's okay. You know, positive people, men, you know, people who are positive or, you know, people too, you know, they deserve love. As soon as her son got into that type of relationship, out the window, all that went. And she was focused on, you know, keeping her son safe, quote. And that hurt. She had a brother who was positive. And that hurt him. Wow. That, yeah. But, you know, wow. the series and went on, the mother evolved and, you know, accepted her son's partner. But, yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's what, – what comes to my mind is that there's an opportunity for us to recognize that 
uh, in the character of this mother, there is no malice behind it. She's coming from a position of wanting the best for her son, wanting to protect him. And I think this is another arena where raising awareness and education is so important because sometimes people who um, harbor these negative ideas, um, it's really more rooted in, in lack of awareness than it is in, in any kind of hate or wishing any kind of ill will. And it makes me wonder if there's more that we can do to raise that awareness and to um, help guide people in overcoming these biases without um, just kind of waving the finger at them and saying, you know, you're bad. You have these bad ideas and, you know, I, uh, you better stop it or, uh, you know, I, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Um, because that's not necessarily going to cause that shift in consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another item that was raised in Hyperion's conversation with Dr. Matthew in 2009, and for those of you who are on Facebook, I have posted the link to that episode if you want to hear the entire thing. One thing that Dr. Matthew communicated, and he was coming from the perspective of a clinical psychologist, was that for he found that many folks who were diagnosed uh, with the the infection, um, for many of them, it brought up a lot of negative programming. Uh, many of us come from a relatively conservative upbringing, a relatively religious upbringing. And what he found is for some of these guys, being um, diagnosed positive brought up feelings such as, what if homosexuality really is a sin? What if the virus really is God's punishment? Those kinds of toxic ideas. So, um, and I would imagine that, that to an extent that still goes on today. I think for many of us who come from that kind of very conservative background, uh, it could take a lifetime of, of work to overcome that programming. And, um, I think it's important to, to be aware of that. And, and I think in, in our work in the unnamed path, we have an opportunity to create a framework for an alternative way of looking at uh, the place of infection in our lives, the role that it plays in our community, the role that it plays in our world at large, and to connect it to a greater spiritual awareness that is not rooted in uh, shame and scapegoating. Hmm. And then a couple other n- notes that I pulled out of that podcast was Hyperion made comments about guilt by association and that 
he recognized a situation where sometimes negative people, someone who's HIV negative, who perhaps are in a relationship with someone who's positive, or they facilitate a support group for you know for positive folks, or something like that. Uh, he recognized that there's sometimes a guilt by association um, that people with negative biases will sometimes lump uh, or assume that someone who's actually negative is positive because of the folks that they're connected with or hanging out with. And I just thought that that was very interesting. And I don't know if that was back in 2009, he made those comments. I don't know, here we are eight years later, if that's still the case uh, or if that is less prevalent than it was back then. And then a couple of items that Dr. Matthew touched on in that episode, he made the comment that I guess at that time, 50% of gay identified men in LA and the Bay areas tested positive. And I have no idea. I haven't done the research. I have no idea what the numbers are now. Um, I know that the numbers are very high in, in other uh, areas with a very thriving LGBT community, such as uh, South Florida area. Um, but it'd be interesting to see um, if that's still the case, if the, the number has gone down. And then another comment that Dr. Matthew made in that episode, and something that I think ties in very much with our work in the unnamed path is collective trauma. He talked about with Hyperion how the loss of not only close loved ones, but the loss of leaders, the loss, the untimely loss of elders, the untimely loss of activists, how that has created a collective trauma among our people, the loss of wisdom, also uh, collective grief. And although it, it was not AIDS-related, I think that, that that resonates with a little bit of the collective trauma that we've experienced in the unnamed path with the untimely loss of Hyperion, the untimely loss of Raven Moon. And I kind of see it as a, a, a challenge and an opportunity to develop modalities for recognizing, addressing, and overcoming healing from that trauma, not only for ourselves, but for our community at large, because maybe if we can learn to do that um, for ourselves, we can start um, following those strategies at large and creating collective healing, because I think collectively there's still a lot of collective pain in the LGBT community at large. Mm -hmm. Mm. Got really emotional really quick. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, this, this, take a moment. You know, this, 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 whole, yeah, this whole topic is, you know, very emotional, and like you were saying, it's a collective trauma, you know, for the yeah, you know, for the LGBT community, for 
the greater community also. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's hard to talk about. And, you know, in, in our mainstream culture, even we're supposed to be upbeat and happy and positive all the time. And we're not supposed to spend time talking about our pain or processing our pain. Uh, you know, even, I, I think even in the straight world, it's like, okay, you had the funeral, you cry at the funeral and the next day, okay, go back to work, get back to business as usual, be happy, think only happy thoughts. And you and I both know what happens when we do that, when we don't give ourselves mm-hmm. space to grieve, when we don't give ourselves space to be angry, when we don't give ourselves space to be depressed, those feelings get buried and they fester as a part of our shadow. And then what happens? Our shadow is coping with this poison and then it sabotages our happiness. And we wonder why things go wrong in our lives when oftentimes it's our own buried feelings, our own shadow crying out for attention. And then Hyperion indicated an observation he made back in 2009, that a lot of people still emotionally respond to the discovery that they're HIV positive as a death sentence. And I can say anecdotally, in today's world, eight years later, it's not like that. I think at least within Mm -hmm. the LGBT community, there's a lot of, I think most of us are aware that it's treatable, you can live a long and happy and healthy life, um, and it's not as terrifying as it once was. Eh. I don't know. I, I, when I, I think about the chances of myself getting um, infected, you know, that makes me a little scared. But I do agree with you. It, nowadays, our knowledge on it is much more uh, prevalent and abundant that, you know, yes, we can live long, happy, healthy lives if you happen to be positive or if you happen to get infected. And, you know, we've come a long way in medicine to the point where, you know, if you feel like you've gotten infected after, you know, being with someone, you know, there's, I can't think of the name of it, but it's basically like the, it's a, What's the word I'm thinking of? Morning after pill, basically. Uh, if you think you've been oh, infected, yeah. there's yeah. medication you can take that will, you know, stop it from spreading. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what and, it's called either. Yeah, totally out of my brain. Uh, but, uh, and even, uh, how long ago was it? Like a month or so ago? And I'm totally blanking again on what organization. It was... U.S. Health Health Organization or something like that, I can't remember the exact name, uh, posted an article or, you know, actually put out an article that said, if you are positive but undetectable, the chances of you transmitting the virus to someone else is uh, next to impossible. Yes, I have heard that also. Yes. And, and I, will try, I will try to find yeah. that article. 
Yeah, and that that's uh, a testament to how far we've come in terms of treatment, which is wonderful. We've made a lot of really great strides. In, in that episode, they, they also talked about how, and I'm not sure how to phrase this, identifying with the disease. So uh, it's one thing to say, you know, let's say on uh, your grinder profile, I am an HIV positive investment banker versus I'm an investment banker who enjoys camping, live music, who happens to be HIV positive. And Hyperion and Dr. Matthew talked about the psychological impacts of identifying strongly with the disease and in our dating apps, uh, I think the way they're structured often encourage us to categorize ourselves and identify strongly with our status. You know, I am HIV negative. I am HIV positive. And, and, you know, when we, when we type that or check that box or say that it, it programs our minds in a way that, Subconsciously, we think that that has something to do with who we are fundamentally when we don't at all. And so what opportunities do we have to find an alternative way of thinking? You know, I'm, you know I, I am an artist. I am uh, an uncle. I am a... Uh, chef um, and HIV status is something that I have but it has nothing to do with who I am hmm. and you know I always like to think how language is magical every time we speak every sentence we say is a magic spell that we're casting on ourselves and on other people we're constantly programming our subconscious. We're constantly programming the subconscious minds of others with the, the ridiculous things we say without even thinking about it. And, you know, what opportunities do we have to change the way we phrase um, our declarations about HIV status so that we recognize that one status is really has nothing to do at all with who someone is and what they are. Mm-hmm. And then another topic that Hyperion raised that I thought was very interesting and very relevant is that in many magical traditions and in the unnamed path in particular, our sexuality, our sexual energy is a source of power. It's a source, it's a tool in our 
work as magicians, as healers. And many of us, and, and I'm guilty of this too, many of us have a lot of anxiety about sexual intimacy. Um, I grew up with, okay, you, you know, have to have, you have to have, you have to have condoms. You always have to have a condom on you. Use two condoms. Um, because it was drilled into us when I was very young that sex is deadly. That one mistake could lead to a death sentence. And that's not true necessarily, but in my generation, those of us who got sex education, that's what was drilled into us. And so even today, it's very hard for me to let go sexually and let that energy flow because there's so much of that programming. You have to be vigilant. You have to be aware. You have to be careful. And we should be vigilant and aware and careful. We should use precaution. But to what extent do we allow that to diminish our ability to really raise that energy to really get into the flow of the experience. So I just thought it was really interesting. And in my personal journey, perhaps, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for me to do some work on that and to recognize the ways I can allow myself to um, let the energy flow more readily and, and to delve more deeply into the, the ecstatic experience of life and instead of the paranoia and fear. Cause I, I admit that I, I can admit that I, I have a lot of deep down inside paranoia and fear around sex and sexuality. Even at this late stage in my life, <laughs> <laughs> yet, yet another, yet another, uh, neurosis I get to work on. But this is interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, you had some information. You you wanted to highlight a little bit of what um, Andrew Reimer uh, talked about um, HIV and AIDS in Two Flutes Playing. Yes. So uh, on this show, we've discussed previously Two Flutes Playing, written by Andrew Raymer, published in 2004 or 2005, I'm not sure. But Two Flutes Playing is really the seminal text of the Unnamed Path tradition. This is the book that Hyperion read, and after he read this book, it propelled him on his journey to meet the ancestors, meet our gods, and from them he received uh, the teachings that, that we're involved in. And Andrew Raymer, in the, I think in the introduction of Two Flutes Playing, he talks about how uh, in many ways him writing this book was in response to the AIDS epidemic. And he communicates some fascinating ideas about it. And 
I guess I should preface that Andrew Raymer um, does indicate that much, if not most, of this book was channeled by ancestral spirits, ancestors of men who love men, spirit guides, angelic beings. He doesn't always make it clear uh, who he's channeling, and different parts of the book, from what I understand, are messages from from different beings. Um, But let's start with one of the most dramatic statements that Two Flutes Playing makes. And I'm reading directly from the book, quote, AIDS is a planetary experiment designed to see whether or not human beings can shift their consciousness from a divisive mode to an all-embracing one. End quote. So from Andrew Raymer's perspective, or rather from the perspective of the, the beings he believes he was channeling, AIDS is not an accident. And I think in trauma and calamity and catastrophe, it's, it's natural for us to ask, why me? Why? Why is this happening? And what he communicates, and I'm not saying this is what I believe. I'm not saying, personally, I'm not saying that I endorse this, but I think it's an idea worth exploring. What Two Flutes Playing seems to suggest is that this epidemic is an opportunity for healing. Um, it says that the nature of the experiment is twofold. One, to raise compassion and transformation. And two, it's a doorway to a possible future. If we respond to the AIDS epidemic by becoming more compassionate, by becoming more tolerant, by embracing the LGBT part of the human community and returning to an awareness of their intrinsic value, then this paves the way to a possible future where we get to have more harmony and more sustainability, uh, more balance with the rest of life on planet Earth. According to Two Flutes Playing, according to that chapter, if that change does not occur, then AIDS is just a foreshadowing. It says that in that event, if humanity does not change our consciousness, there will be a more serious virus. By or around the year 2055, 50% of all children will die before the age of five. Due to this virus that's being predicted. In this book, and again, I, I, you know, that's not necessarily what I believe. I'm not saying this is truth, but this is what this is what Andrew Raymer put out there. Um, the positive path, compassion and transformation, 
is illustrated a little bit further. Andrew Raymer gives a little bit more explanation. He indicates that that includes freedom of identity, food, housing, clothing, education, all. And I think for me personally, what resonates with me is I'm aware of other traditions um, that have prophecies that resonate with this. Um, I have, in my experience with the people that, the holy people that I knew from Pine Ridge, South Dakota, from among the Lakota, is there is a prophecy that things can go one of two ways or that there's going to be a splitting away, almost like there's going to be two timelines and there's the path of sustainability and of peace versus those who persist in divisiveness are going to find themselves in an experience wherein the human race is going to continue to fall apart. And as a matter of fact, going back to two flutes playing, Uh, Andrew Raymer indicates that this second virus, the one that hasn't happened yet, the the virus that's going to impact the population of planet Earth, that that will be another opportunity. So if that calamity were to occur, there will be an opportunity at that point to shift our consciousness. But if that second chance fails... that it's likely that the human race will be terminated. Hmm. So again, I don't know, you know, this could just be, you know, you could, uh, if you can put this in the same category as ancient aliens, again, I don't necessarily <laughs> agree with it verbatim, but I think mm-hmm. it speaks to, I think it speaks to the reality of what's happening. I mean, to me, it's very obvious that we are at a crossroads. And mm-hmm. that each one of us in our day-to-day lives, we, we have to make a choice. Are we going to seek compassion and sustainability, or are we going to persist in selfishness and destruction? Hmm. And then let's see, regarding HIV-AIDS, there's another fascinating quote here from two foods playing quote, gay people have specific functions that grow out of our vibratory essence. The vibratory essence of male and female are not the same. The vibratory essence of those who are drawn to their own gender in love are not the same as those who are drawn to the other gender. Gay people are healers and creators using our energy to serve humanity. 
So I, I thought that was really powerful. And as tragic as the HIV AIDS epidemic has been and as unfair and, and unjust the, the loss of life has been, the fact remains that the HIV AIDS epidemic has been a part of raising awareness about LGBT people and has helped pave the way for the freedoms that we enjoy now because we are inhabiting a completely different world than what existed in the 60s. Completely different. Mm-hmm. I, I talk, I, I, you know, I, I talk to older men who love men, guys in their 70s who were there when Stonewall happened, who knew what it was like when you, you know, yeah, there were some gay bars, but it was word of mouth. It was secret. You were in constant fear of police brutality. You might be at a bar and hopefully there would be a lookout because if the police were coming by to raid the place, um, if the the scout got back in time to tell everyone, hey, the police are coming, then they would hurry up and switch partners so that, you know, the gay men would stop dancing with each other and grab a lesbian to dance with so that by the time the police got there, it would look like an ordinary bar or nightclub. To live in constant fear for coming out to just not be an option, it just was not an option until recent times. So the HIV epidemic, it's not pretty, but it's part of our history. It's part of what has transformation. And I think for me, that's why these radical comments that Andrew Raymer makes resonate with me because to some extent we have had an increase in compassion. We have had transformation. And so maybe we are on the right path. And if we can just keep it going and just keep that ball rolling in that direction, maybe we really will succeed in manifesting the best possible future for our descendants. Hmm. That's my hope. And then another thing in Two Flutes Playing that I thought was really cool, and I'd forgotten all about this, Michael. You and I both know all about shadow work. and um, But something that I have not been working on, and I'm thinking maybe, maybe we should, um, is what Andrew Raymer calls the golden shadow. Hmm. And he writes, quote, there is a second shadow. Another aspect of self, this aspect is seldom talked about. We call it the golden shadow. It is hidden like the other shadow, but what is repressed is not negative, but positive. The golden shadow contains all those wonderful, healing, transformative qualities that we have denied in ourselves. Often because they would set us apart call attention to ourselves or simply because they are qualities our society does not acknowledge. Psychic and healing skills, for example. End quote. So 
I think that's amazing. Mm. And I could, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know about you. I could see that in myself where, you know, yeah, there's all the negative qualities and negative feelings I've suppressed. But you know what? To be honest, there's positive things too that have been buried. So, wow. Mm. Maybe that's, maybe, I don't know. That might even be harder shadow work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. do, do, digging mm. down deep and, and letting our, giving ourselves permission to shine. We definitely need to look into that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he has, um, actually in that same chapter, he has exercises in there. So I'm actually going to go back and start doing some of these exercises. And if any of our listeners, if you have a copy of playing, um, don't be shy about giving these exercises a whirl. And if any of our listeners, if you don't have this book, get it. <laughs> get it. You don't have to agree yeah. with it. You don't have to believe in it. This isn't a religion. This isn't a dogma. This isn't orthodoxy. It's just something to inspire you. Mm-hmm. And take, you know, take from it what works. And for those who have the book, and maybe different editions are different, but The Golden Shadow is discussed on page 63. And it's part of the chapter called AIDS and the Healing Process. Okay. Definitely look into that. Uh, Being to get back to World AIDS Day, and you know, we're coming up to the end of the show. Just wanted to share a little bit of information on, uh, I guess, like treatment and prevention. For HIV AIDS, you know, most of us know that, you know, honestly, for prevention, use a condom or prep or a combination of both, you know, and just be conscious of, you know, who, of what you're doing, who you're doing it with, you know, don't share needles, and. Uh, you know, get tested. Uh, believe they recommend getting tested. What is it? Every six months or three to six months? Yeah, I think it depends on how sexually active you are. But I, I think for the average person, um, I think they recommend every six months. And you know, and it's not a big deal. You know, you just they draw a little bit of blood, take a urine sample for other. S- STIs and whatnot, but um, and you know most doctors are very okay with doing this because they want you to be happy and healthy. Um, and as far as treatment, uh, uh, HIV and AIDS requires that you take a lot of different medications. Uh, and you know, I've, there's way too many to list, but. If you go, uh, once I post a link to it, that website I said earlier has a list of all the medications and, you know, possible side effects and, you know, what to look out for when you take medication. Um, But I believe it's called a retro, 
uh, retroviral therapy or something like that. But yeah. Yeah, and if you know some of you folks out there, if you're not comfortable speaking about HIV with your GP, maybe you're afraid to come out. There are all kinds of resources. Look for the nearest LGBT center in your area. Most of them uh, do offer anonymous HIV testing. Uh, I know most of the gay pride festivals all over the country, there will be a tent where you can get tested and find out your status. And getting tested regularly is one of the most important ways to help prevent the spread Mm -hmm. of the virus. And then, you know, PrEP has been a wonderful preventative tool. And again, you know, you know, maybe, maybe it's not in your budget to, to, to go on PrEP. I believe that they're still look, I could be wrong, but I think they're still looking for volunteers. They are, uh, developing the new generation of PrEP, and there is a double-blind study. So participants in the study, uh, they get a pill. They get two pills. One is a placebo, and the other is either the old version of PrEP or the new version of PrEP, uh, but it, both of which are effective. So uh, it doesn't cost anything to be a part of this study. When you participate in the study, they regularly, I think it's every three months, you get a full screening. They not only test you for HIV, they test you for everything, which is so important. Um, I know in, in South Florida, I think it might be a little better now, but there was a huge syphilis epidemic because everyone was so worried about AIDS and getting tested for AIDS, nobody was getting tested for anything else. And syphilis spreads very, very easily. So, um, you know, if you want to find out how you can get on PrEP and you don't have the money for it, look around, talk to people, find out if you can get involved in this study because um, there's so many benefits um, health-wise. It's, you're going you're gonna to see a doctor every three months. You're going to be probably one of the healthiest people that you know because you're going to be on top. You're going to be ahead of the curve. So... Um, there's resources out there. Um, anyone, any listeners who want help, if you want to reach out to me, message me on Facebook, contact me privately. I'll be happy to um, find out whatever I can for you. And, you know, another thing is, you know, I think we've said it several times, you know, talking about, you know, spreading awareness about uh, HIV and AIDS, which is, you know, definitely something that, you know, the World AIDS Day uh, campaign does, and if you go to their website, they have. If you go to the 2017 campaign, you can download uh, posters. Uh, you know, you have to get permission to post them and whatnot. But it's all about, you know, you can help fight uh, HIV. You can help end it. Uh, you know, print, you know, you can download the posters. You can put them up in places, you know, spread awareness. <clears throat> you can also, you know, we mentioned the red ribbon and they meant, 
the website talks about it for the UK. I don't know what it is for the US or other areas. But if you're in the UK, you can get you can click on a link and they'll send you a hundred uh fabric red ribbons for free for uh, anyone fundraising in the UK. Oh cool. Yeah. So I, like I said, I don't know what they're what it is if they do if they're doing anything like that for here in the US. Uh, but yes, and again, you know, world the World's Aid Day campaign, Aid Day campaign is just one organization. There's a lot of other organizations if you want to get involved to help raise awareness, help end the stigma of HIV/AIDS. Like I believe there's the Mr. Happy campaign, which definitely is all about ending the stigma within our community about, you know, being with someone who is positive and you're negative. Um, and I I will see if I can find a link for that too. But, yeah, there's, you know, if you're interested in, you know, doing something like that, just, you know, look for it, you know, ask about it, and you will find it. <sighs> And I think that might be it for the show, Matthew. Uh, do you have anything coming up that you're going to be doing over the next few months? No, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in. We have some amazing guests lined up for December. We're going to talk more about ancestor work and spirit work. So those of you who want to learn more, about those aspects of spiritual practice, please tune in. Uh, I'm personally very, very excited uh, to have these folks on the show. And uh, I guess, you know, this is a good time of year, you know, no matter who you are, where you are, to be grateful. You know, I'm I'm certainly grateful. Michael, I'm grateful for you, (laughs) and I'm grateful for... (laughs) the Unnamed Path Brothers, and I'm grateful to the LGBT community, and I'm grateful to our ancestors of men who love men, um, because uh, my life has been so enriched, and I've experienced so much personal healing. So many thanks to everyone, and um, be good to yourselves. Enjoy the rest of the weekend, and do we have any good music to play us out with? Yes. I was actually looking for a song while we were discussing, talking about some things. Uh, Oh, and if you're interested, I believe I mentioned it in previous episode, I submitted an article for um, Queer Magic Anthology with Lee Harrington. And it's available for pre-order and I can link the pre-order to the website, to our Facebook page. <clears throat> but yeah, it's called, uh, oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> I had the name in my head, and it just went out the door. Queer Magic. Uh, Queer Magic, Power Beyond Boundaries. And it's a, like I said, it's a collection. It's an anthology. There's many different contributors who contributed to it. And it's edited by uh, Lee Harrington and I can't pronounce Ty's last name 
unfortunately, and a tie. Um, and yeah, okay, here's the song. And, and let's see. Oh, wait. Oh, it's, I need a new computer. <laughs> it's in there somewhere. Yes. I'm going to play us out with uh, S.J. Tucker, Him to Hearn. You can say your prayers, work your rights, burn your little candle day and night. You can shimmy till dawn to the pounding drums, but you best be ready when the horn one comes, yeah. Sound of a hunting horn, you dance a ring in the gathering storm. If the sofa's time gets your panties in a wide, just the coming of the horn god, he will call you out, make you sweat, give you a blessing that you'll never forget. So revel in the chase and let your heart beat run. Blessed are the children of the horned one. Blessed are the children of the horned one. Hey. Hunter who tracks outside of time. Guardian lord of ancient rhyme. Brother stag in the musky glen. Gold sword of the goddess in the woodland den. Away. Walking in your power every day Guide us through and our hunt this night Maybe even later in the great ride He will call you out, make you sweat Give you a blessing that you'll never forget So revel in the chase and let your heart beat run Blessed are the children of the
Yay for another show. Uh, you, the first song, again, the first song we were listening to was S.J. Tucker, Him to Hearn. And the last song that we played was We Are the Gods uh, by Aspire Rhythm. Both of those are amazing songs. And again, you have been listening to Walking the Unnamed Path. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns about today's episode, you can email us at walkingtheunnamedpath at gmail.com. Uh, she has a tweet on Twitter at walking underscore the UP. Or you can, again, hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash walking the unnamed path. Uh, and, oh my gosh, the year's almost over. And like Matthew said, we have some awesome shows lined up for the end of the year. And we're in the process of getting everything ready for next year. So, if there is a topic you would like us to cover that we haven't covered yet uh, pertaining to the Unnamed Path, please let us know. Or if there's a topic you'd like us to revisit, please let us know. <laughs> and we will get everything you know, scheduled and ready for next year. And if you have anyone that you'd like us to bring on the show to talk about, to pick their brain, you know, see how, you know, if they were of a di- different mental uh, men who love men tradition, you know, see how our traditions work together, or you know, if they're completely separate. Let us know. You know, shoot us an email. You know, hit us up on Facebook, and we will get the links we mentioned earlier posted to the Facebook page. And yes, hope you have a blessed Saturday. Excuse me, I got the hiccups. And I hope you have a great rest of the week. Hope you had a wonderful day of thanks, you know, with family, friends, and yeah. (laughs) Oh, and I hear the call of my dog. (laughs) Anyways, have a good day, and we will see y'all soon. Bye-bye. Here it is. You're listening to Pagans Tonight. Pagans unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight.